This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the February 16 climate and health meeting, and more specifically, the medical community's responsibility in addressing the human health effects of the climate crisis. With me to discuss the topic is one of the meeting planners, Dr. Jonathan Patz, the director of the Global Health Institute at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Patz, welcome to the program. Uh, pleasure to be here, David. Dr. Pat's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, three comments. First, the Earth is warming. U.S. temperatures, for example, have increased by almost two degrees Fahrenheit, and most of this warming has occurred since 1970. Globally, 16 of the 17 hottest years have occurred since 01, and the three hottest years ever recorded were in succession 2014, 15, and 16. The effects of climate change are becoming more observable nearly every month. As has been recently reported, the unprecedented second consecutive year of mass bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef, a third straight year of record low sea ice at the North Pole, and unprecedented storm events, for example, the 200% snowpack in the Central Sierras, and interestingly, first ever February tornado in Massachusetts. Second. Nearly a year ago, or on uh, April 4, 2016, the Obama White House released a heavily referenced 400-page report titled The Impacts of Climate Change on Human Health in the U.S., a Scientific Assessment, in which it concluded climate change is a significant threat to the health of the American people. The report received little attention, it appears, in the D.C. health policy community. This past Tuesday, President Trump signed an executive order that, per the White House press shop, quote-unquote, stops Obama's war on fossil fuels. The EO, in some, loosens regulations on the use of fossil fuels and is based on the president's belief climate change is a, quote-unquote, hoax. Among other things, the EO allows the EPA to review the president or the previous president's clean power plant initiative, lifts a 14-month moratorium on new coal leases, on federal lands and eliminates guidance that climate considerations be factored into NEPA environmental reviews. It's anticipated the president next will withdraw from the 15 Paris Agreement. Lastly, third, to the extent the climate crisis is being addressed, the first ever CO2 emissions dropped uh, in 2016, absent an economic crisis. Again, the first time that's happened. And China, the largest greenhouse gas emitter, while increasing electrical consumption last year by 5%, managed to reduce its carbon emissions by 1%. So with that as background, uh, Dr. Patz, let me start with this question. How did this February 16th uh, one-day conference come about? So um, this conference, uh, which happened down at the Carter Center in Atlanta, um, it was a conference that, that happened... Uh, we were sort of planning a conference already with uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, but um, that actually uh, the CDC uh, decided against uh, holding that meeting at the time uh, to be postponed for a later time. Uh, but because the American Public Health Association has declared 
2017 to be the year of climate change and public health, with the Climax event happening uh, in Atlanta this coming November uh, for the annual conference of the American Public Health Association. The theme is climate change. Um, that we went ahead, uh, the APHA, uh, together with Al Gore, uh, decided with, uh, you know, the plannings of that other meeting already in place, why not uh, invite everyone and and, and have, have the meeting instead of a, a two- or three-day meeting, uh, as CDC was uh, trying to do, just have it as a one-day meeting uh, and kick off the year of climate change and public health. So it's really uh, American Public Health Association stepping forward to say, you know, let's not postpone this meeting. Uh, let's 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 have it and kick off the year of climate change and public health. Thank you. And of course, there is much speculation when in mid-January the CDC canceled uh, what had been planning for several months, a, a three-day conference, and there was much speculation about uh, it's canceling the meeting relative to the incoming uh, new president. So let's go to the meeting itself. What was the meeting's intent, or what do you think was accomplished during the day of panel sessions? Um, well, well, let me let me just point out that um, it was not the Trump administration uh, saying anything to CDC. It was uh, CDC's decision before the Trump administration came in. Just, just yes, for, correct. For Thank that. you. But anyway, yes. um, you know the. The meeting was really about a uh, state of the science uh, about climate change and why public health is at the core of concern about climate change impacts. You know, people think too much about climate change as an issue of polar bears and uh, crop failures, which it is, but uh, people fail to recognize how many climate-sensitive diseases there are, uh, and so you know, the meeting really was to, uh, you know, bring that to the attention that we really need to, to view climate change through the frame of public health. It's a health issue when you think about how many pathways through which extreme weather affects us, be it from heat waves and storms uh, to crop failures, water contamination, uh, increase in insect-borne diseases that are sensitive to very small shifts in temperature, um, as well as forced migration, uh, sea level rise and storms are going to be uh, making populations be forced to move. And so that's, that's a public health concern. So on the one hand, uh, it's to accentuate the, or, or to emphasize how important climate change is for public health. And then the latter part of the meeting is to say, now wait a second, what does it mean to mitigate climate change? What, what do we need to do to, um, you know, to go at the, the root problem, which is mostly burning fossil fuels? And when you look at that, you know, climate change policy to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, even without thinking about climate change, you know, a low-carbon economy is a much healthier economy when you think about air pollution and sedentary lifestyles uh, you know, for motorized vehicles, you know, the opportunity through cleaner air and uh, promotion of physical fitness are enormous health co-benefits from climate policy. So those things were discussed as well. Uh, thank you. And I'll make note and I'll post the link to the webcast with this podcast recording. The keynote by, you mentioned, uh, Vice President Al Gore, 
his keynote 30 minutes gave an excellent overview, I thought, of the effects of uh, global warming. And I would recommend anyone, uh, the webcast is eight hours, but I would recommend anyone who's interested certainly listen to Vice President Gore's 30-minute uh, keynote. Let's get into the, the more of the details here. So the morning sessions uh, for the uh, meeting were moreover descriptive, how climate change or global warming adversely affects uh, human health. The afternoon sessions were more prescriptive, uh, that is, what's being done to protect human health from threats posed by climate change. Uh, can you briefly summarize some of the uh, panelists' comments in these afternoon sessions? I was particularly interested in one noted that the second largest industry of energy in this country after, after the food industry is the healthcare industry. Right, right. Good point, uh, David. And I think that there are a couple things. One is that um, visible at this meeting and in the planning of the original CDC meeting is the, this program called the Building Resilience Against Climate Effects, uh, the BRACE program. So there's a, an aspect of, of public health preparedness, you know, being better at, you know, predicting uh, heat waves uh, and floods and and, and building resilience so that when these uh, events happen, the public health community is better prepared. Um, but what you mentioned about hospitals is something that's been a very exciting, uh, I, I won't say new development, but newer development, because this comes out of the Healthcare Without Harm um, first initiative. And there's a real movement across um, the healthcare system now to take responsibility not only for uh, treating patients and dealing with the the uh, you know illness right now but to be being that uh, being more responsible in thinking about their own emissions you know that as you mentioned the healthcare system is a major contributor to uh, burning fossil fuels and greenhouse gas emissions so they're saying to themselves wait a minute you know this is irresponsible to be treating somebody today and harming somebody tomorrow or somebody downwind from us. Uh, so there's a, a major movement across uh, healthcare, the healthcare sector. I know that Kaiser Permanente is uh, way out front as far as uh, green hospitals. Um, uh, many hospitals, including our own, the University of Wisconsin, have now you know green purchasing programs and trying to be more responsible in their supply chains. So this is something because of the recognition that that health is a central concern of climate change, that the healthcare sector, you know, step up to the plate and be responsible in its energy policies as well as its everyday treatment of uh, people. You know, an exciting development, and this is brand new, is that uh, just a few weeks ago uh, there's a new consortium, the Medical Societies Consortium on Climate Change, uh, two or three, about three weeks ago, launched a report and, you know, the recognition that not only are public health and environmental public health scientists concerned about climate change, but it's the mainstream medical societies now, uh, as they have more and more uh, practitioners reporting direct effects from climate change that their patients are experiencing. Uh, you know, there was a compelling talk from a pediatrician about the asthmatic children that she's seeing 
Mm-hmm. And if you look at some studies about the ragweed pollen season increasing with warmer temperatures across the United States, these are things that are that are hitting uh, patients right away. And so you've got the mainstream medical societies and the healthcare system and hospitals coming on board uh, in a major way now. Thank you. And and back to Al Gore, he did note the uh, dramatic rise in pollen counts, but. Uh, the vice president did note in his key uh, note comments as well the fact that, and he gave the statistic, we dump 110 million tons of global pollutants into the atmosphere every 24 hours. We treat the atmosphere, he said, as quote-unquote an open sewer. Um, I note uh, Gore's comments because when APHA Executive Director Dr. Benjamin showed the slide listing meeting sponsors, uh, other than APHA, you didn't see, or I didn't see, uh, the professional medical uh, association's involvement. Although you did just note, and I have here in my notes, uh, mention of the the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, formally formed last November. Amongst others, amongst the 12 organizations is the AMA, uh, the American Academy of Pediatricians, the American College of uh, Physicians, the American Academy, family physicians, and others. So that's certainly uh, good news. But my question in all this is, what will it take to get uh, more participation by the professional medical community involved uh, in addressing climate crisis? What would you recommend for greater involvement? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, you know, there's several um, there are several groups that are are coming together now, and it's it's growing really in leaps and bounds now. Uh, there's a major um, climate and health alliance. There, that's a global alliance, and the, the United States has, you know, a U.S. Uh, part of that. And that's uh, healthcare and other and public health professionals from across many sectors um, coming together. That's uh, that's a growing uh, group. Uh, I think as far as bringing on more um, more of the healthcare sector, uh, I think when people see this new consortium that has come together, the Medical Societies Consortium, uh, and the fact that the science of climate change is pretty much settled, you know, climate change is happening. Um, you know, you've seen the statistic: ninety-seven percent of mm-hmm. actual climate scientists that are really studying the problem are in pretty full agreement uh, that it's here, it's caused by humans, and, and, and we're all, you know, being affected by this. And there's a solution. If, if we're causing the problem, we can fix it, too. You know, and there have actually been studies on that 97% study that reconfirm that this really is the case. That I think that you're going to have a snowball effect, and I think that medical societies... Uh, probably will feel left out. <laughs> and uh, so now that we have this consortium pulled together that, that and includes AMA, I think uh, probably uh, by way of, of uh, by, you know, information dissemination and, and learning, uh, I think the other groups will come on board. The, the other thing is to think about there are two sides of this, one side being, you know, the risks of climate change and another side being, the amazing benefits from a low-carbon society. Um, I know the American Sports Medicine, um, that society, uh, launched something a few years ago called Active Earth, uh, all one word, Active 
and the and the eon active is a capital, so it's active Earth. You know, the idea that sedentary lifestyle, which is fossil fuel based, you know, getting in and out of automobiles, mm-hmm. that's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And and look at chronic disease, obesity, diabetes, heart disease. These are all on the increase, especially diabetes and obesity. And so it's a golden opportunity for those types of medical societies to come on board as well um, as they see they benefit from uh, the climate change policies, these sort of health co-benefits from low carbon. Whether or not you do anything with climate change as far as reducing climate change, you know, the policies to get off of a carbon-dependent society are healthy policies. And this even extends to food systems. And, uh, you know, if we eat lower on the food chain, uh, that's that's good for the environment and it's also good for our cardiovascular system when you think about the amount of meat that is in the Western diet. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. The, um, the last panel, uh, you'll recall, uh, was a title Communicating the Climate Health Connection. So this was three experts in communication. I found it particularly interesting for uh, policy uh, advocates on this subject. Um, and as one of the uh, gentlemen said during that uh, panel, this is not just about, as his phrase, plants, polar bears, and penguins, I'm sure you'll recall. Um, mm-hmm. So what was your takeaway relative to uh, how does one effectively communicate the connection between climate change and human health in the policy realm. Right, right. You know, there, there are two things. Uh, the first thing is the climate science. You know, the, to mention, you know, the, look, this is not in debate anymore. With, you know, more than 97% of the scientists studying this are in agreement that it's happening uh, and it's human-induced. Uh, that's not up for debate anymore. Uh, so that's something that there's a lot of disinformation, and I think it's intentional disinformation about uncertainty in the climate science. So number one is to, you know, communicate. There is not that type. That is not uncertain. That is, that is getting sharper and clearer for every assessment that happens. Settled you science, know. yes. Settled science. Um, the impacts also, the impacts are happening now. This is not into the future. You know, the, the extreme events we're seeing, you know, you mentioned some of them in the beginning of the podcast. You know, it's affecting us now. It's not something to delay about. And, in fact, that policies need to be happening now because of the long half-life of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere lasting 50 to 100 years. So the actions have to happen now. Um, and they're solvable. It's not... It's not like we have to wait for technology or wait for a solution. It's more simply the political will to say, let's change course. We have the solutions uh, here already. And this leads to my second uh, point, which is that it's not rocket science to come up with a solution. If you look at the price of wind power and solar, these are competitive now with, with any other uh, form of energy. Solar, the price of solar has dropped 99% since the 1970s. Wind is now competitive. You know, there, there's an issue of, of natural gas, you know, which is natural gas is far better than coal. Mm-hmm. And I think no matter what the, the current administration tries to do with the coal industry, 
Uh, I don't think we're going backwards. Uh, you know, that's simply going to be market forces. And and this is where I think we can find uh, common ground with with skeptics and with people that are not convinced about climate change. Uh, one common ground is if you let the free market go and, and you reduce subsidies for oil and coal, you know, wind and, and, and solar are really becoming competitive. And just a regular free market for energy as other countries are moving to uh, renewables, you know, this is where everyone is going. And I think just natural market forces will take us to renewable energy when people realize the savings there, there are there. Um, the other common ground issue is, is health, you know, that we need to stop talking about climate change only through the environmental lens. And, and I think there's much more common ground on concerns of health. And, and everyone agrees that they want clean air, clean water, a stable climate. Uh, they want this for the health of themselves, their children, their grandchildren. I think there's much more common ground when you talk about climate change as a health issue, for the health issue that it is. And I, I, so I think that between those two areas, that this is not a solution off into the future. The, the solutions are already here and they're proving themselves, uh, especially, you know, when you look at the, the dropping price of renewable energy. And then the common ground issue that, you know, we all care about health. And while sometimes and unfortunately environmental issues get polarized, and I think unnecessarily, but that's the political reality, I think the, the, the health issues are, are far less polarized. And I think we can come together uh, as we have concern for our health. I think that could um, generate more political will to move forward and, and move forward faster and further. Yes, and to pick up on your uh, market forces comment, I believe someone during the meeting noted the fastest growing job in the United States currently is solar tower construction. Uh, so Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I, uh, this is not my expertise, but I've seen several different reports on comparing green jobs versus fossil fuel-related um, jobs. And, uh, you know, what I've seen is that Practically every new report uh, is showing that there are vastly more jobs in, in green energy. Right, right. In fact, I think I saw it was 75,000 coal jobs and 700,000 solar and indoor wind jobs combined. So to, to uh, close this out, I would say you're hopeful, correct? Um, I am hopeful, and uh, I'm, I'm hopeful even... Even with the news this past this week uh, about you know trying to roll back um, the clean energy the clean power plan and considerations of pulling out of Paris, well, we're, we did pull out of Paris this week, mm -hmm. and also there still remains intact the um, the endangerment finding, which is extremely important. That, that the idea that uh, in the Supreme Court it ruled that. In, in fact, CO2 and greenhouse gas emissions that disrupt the Earth's climate do pose harm to human health, and that's a uh, that's that passing the Supreme Court, you know, maintains the fundamental requirement of EPA to regulate mm -hmm. um, greenhouse gas emissions because there is this endangerment finding.
to public health. Yes, exactly. The, the EO didn't touch that, uh, the Supreme Court's decision that justified then subsequently Obama's actions. So right. with that, uh, Dr. Petz, very helpful uh, and very appreciative. Um, I'll mention again, and I'll post a link to it as well, the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health, as well as the webcast, and emphasis again on Vice President Gore's comments. So genuinely appreciate your time. Thank you for it. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archived program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.